Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Good to see you all here today. My name is Eric, and to be the pastor here. Uh, this past summer, I had the immense privilege of officiating the wedding ceremony of Ethan and his lovely bride, Madeline. And yes, I got permission to talk about them today. Weddings are these delightful, stressful, uh, momentous moments that mark important milestones. I had the best seat in the house. Uh, that was me getting to watch their faces as they took this step forward to unite themselves into marriage uh, together. And as I watched my nephew and the, the look on his face as he looked with love as she walked down the aisle, I couldn't help but think about Ethan's perspective a year ago. Ethan and I had met for coffee. He asked to meet with me, and he shared that his perspective was perhaps he thought maybe God was leading him on from Mosaic to another church. Honestly, Ethan shared that he had graduated from college and wanted to get married and thought perhaps he needed to go to another church with more single ladies. And so as we talked about this and processed it, that was his perspective. But little did he know that God had a whole different perspective on what was coming for him in his life. And Ethan told me he's going to finish out the year and then be done at Christmas time. And I said, totally understand. Thank you so much for the last several years of serving faithfully here at Mosaic. And I appreciate it so much. But as Christmas and New Year's arrived, Ethan didn't feel like God was releasing him from this church. And so we kicked off this brand new sermon series called Redeeming Love on the book of Ruth and the story of Ruth and Boaz. And there was Ethan still serving faithfully as we looked at this great love story. And then the craziest thing happened. A few weeks into that series, in walked this young woman. And Ethan's whole perspective, perspective changed instantly as he saw her and he thought, huh, this might be my redeeming love right here. And so after church, they talked for hours and hours as we packed up around them. And it was like one of those movies with the, you know, where they're in uh, kind of slow motion, everyone's speeding around them. That's what it was like as they were talking. And, and it was so amazing to see how Ethan's perspective shifted in an instant. And then six months later, there I was with a front seat row watching Ethan watch his new bride walk down the aisle. But I wasn't the only one to see the wedding from a unique perspective. Their photographer that day got to capture the different moments, was able to shift her perspective for what was needed as she moved around and saw the wedding from different perspectives. And this was her shot, I love this, of, of them. They're newly married and the joy in their face and their photographer is capturing that moment. And you can see you know, they're in focus and the rest of us are out of focus as they capture this wonderful moment. And every time I see wedding photographers in action, especially the really good ones, it's always fascinating to see the different perspectives they take from different angles to capture that moment. But not only that, as photographers, they have their cameras, but if you know much about photography, they will swap out their lenses 
to get the right shot. So you might have a, you know, a 30 millimeter uh, lens like this, and you've got your, you know, um, your lens you might need as, as you zoom in from a distance, your close-up. All these different lenses, they, they will swap out to get the perspective that they needed. And it's amazing to watch this photographer in action as, as she captured their story to make sure the right things were in focus and that the things that need to be in the background were going to be in the background. And I think that's an amazing metaphor as I thought through that and I thought, man, how true is that for our own life? That we all have this camera, this way that we see the world around us, but we have different lenses that we put in on how we interpret what we are seeing. And I believe we can shift our perspective as we shift the different lenses we have. See, our lenses influence our reality and, and how we see the world, how we see people, and the challenges we face as people. So today what I want to ask you as we dive into this kind of hot topic of politics is what lens are you seeing the world through? Is it the lens of, of a pessimist, an optimist, a realist? Do you see the lens through as an American, as a Republican, as a Democrat? Perhaps a better question is, how does your faith inform your politics? How does your faith and your identity as a follower of Jesus impact how you live in this political world that we find ourselves in? Do you believe you can be a Christian and a Republican? Do you also believe you can be a Christian and a Democrat. I think some of you get a little nervous when you think about the opposite perspective. See, there's three, three perspectives I think we have towards politics. And before we dive into those today, uh, we don't have note sheets today because Ryan and I were in Portland for a conference. But I'm going I'm to pray. And then if you want to pull out your phone or any scrap of, uh, scrap of paper, you can take some notes because we think if you can write it down, take some notes, that'll help get those truths down deep into your heart, soul, mind, because we don't want to just give you a bunch of information. We truly want to help you have a life of transformation. And I hope today I can give you a little different perspective, perhaps, uh, and maybe help you shift your lens. So let's pray. God, I thank you that you are here in this place. God, I thank you that you are our living hope. God, I pray that we would be able to shift our perspective in whatever way is needed, God, that you would just, your spirit would fall on us, that same spirit that hovered over the waters of creation, that same spirit that came in fire and wind and noise on the day of Pentecost to empower your church. God, that same spirit would be here in us and among us and through us. God, I pray that we would just open our eyes and hearts and minds to change where we need to change, to receive your gentle, loving correction and also your encouragement and hope in our lives. In your name we pray, amen. Well, I was thinking about the different perspectives we have in politics, and if you're taking notes, uh, you can write this down. I think there's kind of three different perspectives we have towards politics. The first one, it took me a long time to find the right word, and I came up with Kristen's help on the word pride. Let me unpack this a little bit. Not pride and perhaps the way you're thinking, but I think oftentimes when we 
approach the topic of politics and even just our perspective and the lens we see the world, we have this attitude that we know what's best. We are absolutely certain that if our candidate was just elected, then everything would get better. We have this attitude that maybe that government is the answer. And if only the right school board members would get elected, if only the right president would get elected, if only the right attorney general would get elected, then everything would change and, 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 and life would be better. And of course, we know exactly who that right candidate is. I think that's one perspective we have. The second perspective is just anger. Anger about the whole political process Maybe you just want to blow it all up, you know, and just, you know, send all the politicians to Antarctica or whatever it might be and defund the police and, and defund our government and just take it all the way. And your attitude is just kind of anger and you just think this, you know, down with the establishment. And anytime everyone even just brings up the idea of policies and governance, just your reaction is anger. And then I think a third possibility is indifference of just saying, hey, you know what? My vote doesn't matter. You know, I live in a state that has voted blue since the 1970s, and we are the only state that voted not for Ronald Reagan in you know, 1980 out of all the 50 states, so what does my vote even matter? Or perhaps it's Christian fatalism. Hey, you know what? It doesn't even matter that I vote because God is sovereign and his will is going to be done, and so you know what? Why even care? Why even talk about politics or all this? Because you know what? God's just going to do his thing. I think many of us probably fall into one of these three categories. But there has to be, I think, another way. Another way to approach this topic and, and how we view the lens of the world we find ourselves in. And just this political season, as we drive around and see signs everywhere for the different politicians. So what lens do we need to be viewing things through? A couple things I want us to understand as we're in this series called New Beginnings. Is number one, we need to understand that God is sovereign and all politics are a part of his plan. God is sovereign and all politics are a part of his plan. And number two, it is possible to live a courageous Christian life in an ungodly society without becoming totally assimilated to the culture around us. We can live in this ungodly world and be involved in it without being stained by the unhealthy culture we find ourselves in. Last week I talked about how important it is to be in environments like this, like your community group, like a walk with a friend, having a friend over for dinner, these people who follow Jesus, because the world wants us to breathe in these fumes of division and discouragement, but God wants us to breathe in hope and love, and joy, and peace. So I believe there is a different way we can interact with the world around us and say, yes, we can be courageous Christians living in this environment without being stained by the perspective of the world around us. So how do we engage in politics as followers of Jesus? My hope is that we can engage in politics in a way that would be a signpost that points people towards our king and his kingdom. That as we engage with the world around us, as we talk about politics and governance and these things, it can be a signpost that points to our king and our kingdom. We have to remember, we are Christ's ambassadors. This world is not our home. We belong to a future kingdom that is not here. 
We are time travelers from the future coming back, living in this present evil age and moment. And that although we've been saved from this time and this age, and we will be saved, we currently find ourselves in here in this place as his ambassadors, bringing Jesus to those around us. And so we need to have that perspective that we are his ambassadors, that we represent as Christians a king and a kingdom. So how do we do that? Well, first, I want to recap kind of where we found ourselves in the book of Genesis. In chapter one, Ryan led us off in a great way. that We have been created on purpose for a purpose. And what is that purpose? He unpacked it a little bit. That we have a purpose to image, to reflect as his ambassadors, our creator. To reflect back to the world the value system of our creator God. That we have dominion, we have a responsibility over the planet around us to steward it well. God is green. We have a responsibility to care for this world around us. And we have this responsibility to rule that we cannot abdicate. We have a mandate to govern like God. We have this mandate to govern like God. So what does that mean? In Genesis 3, we see that sin enters the world, and after the fall, everything gets harder. Relationships get harder. There's a lack of trust that men and women seek to have dominion over each other. We see this uh, in the fall in Genesis 3. That work gets harder. That we toil and labor and sometimes work can be hard. That having kids and raising kids can get harder. That sin and brokenness have entered the world and now taints all of this creation around us. So we have created on purpose, for purpose, to image God, to have dominion, to rule, to govern like God, and yet the world around us has fallen, it's broken, everything is harder, work is harder, relationships are harder, so how do we navigate that? Well, let's dive into our story. We talked a little bit about Cain and Abel last week, and now we're going to continue that story. Cain had sexual relations with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Then Cain founded a city, which he named Enoch, after his son. And Enoch had a son and named him Irad. Irad became the father of Mahujael, and Mahujael became the father of Methushael, and Methushael became the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women. The first was named Ada, and the second was Zillah. All right, so Lamech, Lamech, however you want to say his name. He's got two wives. He covers the spectrum of women from A to Z. He's got Ada and Zillah. Thank you for that, laughing at that. I appreciate that. Now, is polygamy right? No. We see in Genesis 1, uh, 27, God created male and female to come together. It's not female and female and male or whatever else. That's God's plan. So sometimes we get things in the Bible that are descriptive, not prescriptive. So just because Lamech had two wives doesn't mean we should have two wives. Okay, let's just get that under control. But he had some kids. So let's look at this. Ada gave birth to Jabel. Uh, these are names not super popular uh, with kids nowadays. Um, you know, I think Melody and, and Brian should have named their son Jabel, but that's all right. Uh, who was the first of those who raise livestock and live in tents. All right, first, let's just pause here real quick. All right, so you have this mandate. We're created on purpose for a purpose in a broken world, though. And now they're going out and they're subduing creation. 
They are given dominion and they're tasked to govern like God. And along comes Jabel. He's the first to raise livestock and live in tents. Just think about that. We've talked about this, how we are created in the image of a creator God to go do good to make a difference in this world. Up until that time, you know, when it rained, no one had any shelter. They had to run into a cave, you know, when it was raining to get out of the storm. And probably, you know, the bears and the lions that lived in those caves thought that rain just brought fresh meat to them. You know, that was the result of people running into these caves. And so, you know, everyone's, uh, you know, getting into these caves and trying to find shelter. And and they're they're hunting. They're trying to find meat. It's tough. But he's like, hey, I got a different idea. I'm going to build a fence. I'm going to raise some livestock. I'm going to do things a little bit differently. And I'm guessing Jabel became very popular with the ladies because he's like, hey, instead of getting out in the rain and getting wet, look at this. I built myself my own cave, my tent, and I got my own livestock. And it's like, whoa, you're now like the most popular guy around. And the ladies definitely are attracted to that. He's using his creativity to change culture around him, to to subdue, to bring dominion as the first one to raise livestock, to, to live in tents. But now his brother doesn't want to be outdone. And this is like so typical. Firstborn, secondborn, right? Firstborn, so practical, wants to like, you know, create the tent and the livestock. What is his brother? His brother's name was Jubal, also not a very popular name. But the first of all who play the harp and the flute. Up until this time, no music, just acapella music. And that's fine. If you grew up in a Christian tradition that was just acapella, I feel bad for you. Isn't our band amazing? Can we give him a hand again? Like, man, so, so good. But that's all thanks to Jubal. So Jubal, he's the more creative, sensitive type, right? Big brother invents tents and livestock and all this stuff. But Jubal, Jubal's mind works a little bit differently. He's out one day, and and he sees their pet cat, and it's running across the field, and then a herd of buffalo stampede and flatten that cat. And what comes out of that cat? Cat gut. And some, for some bizarre reason, he thinks I should string up this cat gut and and, and put it on into an instrument and, and creates the very first harp. And as he hears the wind going through the caves and and he hears the wind going through, you know, different uh, uh, branches and and hollow logs and he he hears the wind sing, he thinks, why can't we make music too? And he creates the very first harp and flute and he begins to make melody and music and he plays his flute and he he tunes that cat gut somehow and he begins to make music, and he sings with his harp, and no longer is it just a cappella music, but now there's true beauty in music. And so, yeah, his brother might have some shelter from the rain, but now he's inside his brother's tent, and he's singing, and he's playing his guitar, and what all the ladies then are like, oh, yeah, Jubal, he becomes a very popular guy, right? He's the artist type, but he's bringing his creativity to the world. He's shaping it. He's changing it. He's got a different perspective He's seeing the world through a different lens than everyone else around him. He's thinking we can create culture and art and we can make melody and make music. And then their stepbrother, their half-brother, Lamech's other wife, Zillah, gave birth to a son named Tubal Cain. And he became an expert in forging tools of bronze and iron. Up until this time, they're taking stone and they're attaching it to wood and they're making their tools and that's working okay. But 
Tubal Cain has an idea. We found these rocks in the ground, and perhaps we can heat it up. And he invents the idea of a forge. And he says, perhaps we can make instruments of, of not just, you know, uh, a hoe of rocks, but maybe metal. And now some instruments of, of you know, a different way to, to hunt. We've got metal tips on our, on our arrows and, and swords and different tools to farm and, and, and to, to, to herd and do all these different things. And so he is now changing culture, and, and he's seen from a different perspective, and he's living out his creative mandate as the image of a creator God, and he's seeing the world differently, and, and he's bringing dominion, and, and he's ruling in a different way. And so now we see uh, the emergence of arts and all this new technology in the same time that the first city is built by Cain. So we have art, we have city, we have culture, and this brings the rise to politics. So this is now where we are in our story, the beginning of all this, as, as they seek to subdue and bring dominion and creativity. People are living together in cities for the first time. But what, what comes with, with progress? What comes with people living together and pushing the boundaries back? Where here's Lamech. One day, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. He's boasting. Listen to me, you wives of Lamech. I've killed a young man, a little boy who attacked me, a young man who wounded me. He says, this young boy, he wounded me. He did something to me. Maybe it was words. Maybe it was just he threw a rock at me. And you know what I did? I killed him. He's boasting about this. And he says, if someone who kills Cain is punished seven times, then the one who kills me will be punished 77 times. See, Eve, when she takes what's not supposed to be her and she grasps, then she realizes her sin, she gets humble and repents. Cain, depending on how you interpret it, I believe, that he says, my kavod, my sin is too much for me to bear. He repents, God changes his punishment. But Lamech, he doesn't humble himself. He's boastful of his sin. Side note, probably Jesus' teaching on 70 times 7 in Matthew 18 is a direct response to Lamech and means to refute the practice of unbridled vengeance, that the way of Jesus is different than the way of the world, that when someone hurts me, I'm going to kill them back. And so what we've got is we've got culture and cities, but also sin is becoming worse and worse, and people are boasting about their sin. And Adam had sexual relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to another son, and she named him Seth. For she said, God has granted me another son in place of Abel, whom Cain killed. And to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So we see this creation where we have a mandate to reflect our creative God and to have dominion and to advance culture and art and cities are happening in politics, but also sin is progressively getting worse. But there's hope. At this time, people begin to call upon the name of the Lord. So I believe in the midst of culture and politics and brokenness, there is still hope, amen? We can point away 
that leads to people calling upon the name of the Lord as our hope, as our true salvation. So how do we practically live this out as followers of Jesus? Again, if you're taking notes, I'm going to write this, these down. Number one, seek the welfare of the city. Here's what Jeremiah 29 says. It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. So a history lesson. We've moved now forward a couple thousand years. The people of God have settled in the promised land, but they continue to rebel. So God judges them by withholding his protection. And so then the armies of Babylon come in and carry away um, many of the people of Israel all the way from, from Israel to uh, modern-day Iraq to Babylon. And so now they're in Babylon, and they're asking the prophet Jeremiah, what do we do? This is not our home. We belong to another kingdom. This king is not our rightful king. How do we respond? I think this is a great example for us today. This world is not our home. Our leaders, our king, are not our true and rightful king. So how do we respond? Here's what God tells them. Build houses and plan to stay. Plant gardens. Anytime you hear this, but you got to think back to Genesis 1. Anytime you talk about gardens, we're thinking about the original garden, our original mandate created by God on purpose for a purpose. And eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for your children so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is a great attitude for us to have as followers of Jesus. This world is not our home. We don't belong to this kingdom, to this king. We have a different kingdom, a different king. But what's our mandate? Seek the peace of the city. Work for the peace and the prosperity of the city. Start businesses. Hire people. Uh, pray for your leaders. Pray for the success of the city you live in and the surrounding region that you are in. This is, this is our mandate. And this includes praying for our leaders. 1 Timothy 2.1, the Apostle Paul, church planner, radically saved by God, living under the evil Roman Empire. And they've conquered the whole known world. They're not truly free. Paul's planted these churches. He's appointed Timothy to be the pastor of the church of Ephesus. So he's writing to Timothy. And here's what he tells him. As they live under, uh, uh, you know, they've gone from, uh, you know, Caesar to, to Nero. Uh, I believe uh, uh, it was uh, Domitian at this time. Uh, you can fact check me later on that. But again, so we've got some crazy Roman emperors, right? And he's saying, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. How many people? All people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority, all who are in authority, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is our signpost for how we engage in culture and politics. Pray for the kings, the presidents, Governors, mayors, city council members, school board members, all who are in authority so we can live peaceful and quiet lives. Again, this is under the evil Roman Empire who crucified anyone who disagreed with him. With godliness and dignity. 
That's how we respond, with godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior. So we seek to the welfare of our cities. We don't seek the downfall of our country and our state and our cities. We seek the welfare. This is where we find ourselves in today. Number two, to engage in the political process. So we, we want to pray for our leaders. Uh, you know, uh, many of us, I think, have a hard time praying for those who are on the different political persuasion, right? Some of you could never imagine praying for President Trump when he was in office. Some of you now can never imagine praying for President Biden. Does Jesus tell us only pray for those who have your same political uh, ideologies? Pray for all your leaders, all those who are in authority over you. Pray for God's guidance and wisdom for them. So we want to pray for our leaders. Number two, to engage in the political process. Here's something that I think many of us Christians, we fear this evangelical label that's been fostered on us. Evangelical at its roots simply means you believe the Bible is the inspired and authoritative word of God and that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's the true and historical uh, definition of evangelical. It's been co-opted now to be a political statement so that evangelical Christianity means a whole other thing. But I think many of us, they, we saw the unholy uh, uh, wedding of politics and right-wing Christianity fundamentalism, and we said, hey, I want nothing to do with that. So many of us, if you, like perhaps young Gen Xers, millennials, Gen Zers, we've just kind of walked away. But I believe what God wants us to do is to engage in the political process. See, we don't live in the first century. <laughs> we, we are not like the early church in this way. We have privileges and rights that Peter, James, John, Paul, all of them could only dream about. They did not get to vote for their school council members or their city council members. They did not get to vote for their, their governors. They did not have any say in who's going to be emperor over them. We have a beautiful gift that we get to vote. Thank you. Here's a sad stat put out by Lifeway uh, in the last two years. 20% of Christian adults will never vote in their lifetime. I think it's sin to not be involved in shaping the world around us because I know that 20% sure is complaining. So you better believe if you do not show up in that, in that ballot uh, spot and, and cast your vote, or vote ahead of time by mail, you have no right to complain. And I believe also you're not following what, what Paul teaches, uh, what he tells Timothy, to pray for your leaders, to be involved, to be invested, to seek the welfare of our city. We get to do things that Peter, Paul, James, John, all of them could only dream about. We can vote. We can volunteer in our local schools. We can volunteer and help out uh, the police force and, 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 and firefighters, all these things. We have opportunities that early church could only dream about. I've shared a lot about my Maple Grove Pastors Group. It's so life-giving. There's about a dozen of us. We share often with each other just the, the heartaches, the, the goods, the bads of pastoring. We're there for each other. And it's, it's an amazing, beautiful thing. Again, it's pretty rare uh, for most cities. You know, we've got Nazarenes and Sons of God and Baptists and Southern Baptists and, and Covenant 
uh, and, and non-denominational and uh, African church planters. And we all come together and we share and pray. And so we've, we've talked a lot, all of us, saying we've realized we didn't want to be the pastor who was preaching with the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other and always talking about culture. But we've done a little bit of a disservice as we've disengaged. And so we've all shared together how are we going to encourage our people to engage in the political process. And so for the last couple of months, what we've done is we've invited uh, Police Chief Eric, uh, amazing, awesome, godly man, uh, to come in and speak to us about what are you seeing as Police Chief of Maple Grove, who's been serving our city for about eight years. Uh, awesome guy. We've invited the mayor. Come in, share to us. What do you see in our city here in Maple Grove? And what are the needs? We've had three School board candidates come in and share, uh, one, running for re-election, two, for election. Why are you running? What is your platform? What are the things that, that, that you see and you desire for our public schools? We've had someone who's running for city council coming in, sharing, hey, what do you see as you've served as a substitute teacher, as you've volunteered in different ways, as you've owned businesses in our city? What are your needs that you're seeing uh, in a unique way? And it's been so eye-opening for me to to hear from our police chief and mayor and city council members and all these things and to say, uh, you know, this is how these different issues connect with one another. This is why who we select as attorney general for our county matters in our context. Here's why the school board policies affect us because when they are saying, hey, we don't want uh, teachers... To, to hand down too many uh, suspensions and detentions because that makes our numbers look bad. So that's what they've been telling our school district. And so then kids have been acting up more because they have found there's no consequences for their actions. And so this past summer, Police Chief Eric told us, we've had more vandalism than ever before because these policies by the school board have affected our teenagers who have gone and seen, hey, it's totally okay to vandalize, to break into businesses, and it's costing our city millions and millions of dollars. And so when you understand how all these things work together and how policies actually matter, we say, hey, we need to be involved and engaged. What I want is for everyone here to walk out of here with a mandate that I need to be engaged in the political process. That even if you don't have kids in the city you live on, would you please do your research, figure out which school board candidates fit your values, and vote for those candidates. If you homeschool, would you please do your research? Because how our school board handles, even those of us who have, like we have kids in Christian school and public school, but maybe you don't have kids in the public school because you don't have kids that age or or you're homeschooled, whatever, your vote still matters for our city. And here's the thing, I want all of us to be ready on election day, that we're not showing up to that voting booth and pulling out our phone and being like, oh, what's their stance on this? I don't really know. We've done our homework ahead of time. You can go online. You can print out your ballot, uh, and you can see what's on there. We have referendums for our city, uh, you know, how we're going to spend our money. Uh, and the reality is, in our ballot, uh, the really most important thing, which I think is the local elections, that's going to be the very back of your ballot, because it's going to be all the national stuff and referendums first. And the very back, I think the things that affects us the most, honestly, which is our city council, our school board, um, uh, the local elections, those things will be the very last. And so do your research. Be engaged. If you have questions, come ask me. I will tell you, not on the stage, I'll tell you personally who I'm voting for, the candidates I've vetted, uh, the people that I've talked to. 
Um, uh, but we can volunteer. Uh, as pastors, as we've talked through, we're going to start volunteering and showing up with, uh, at the police force. We don't have a chaplaincy program. We said, hey, what's the first next step? All right, we can show up. We can bring coffee and bagels to the officers as they do their, their uh, briefing meetings before they sent out. We can just begin to show the officers, hey, we're here. We can start to do ride-alongs, not so that we are uh, there for the community necessarily and, and on the, the death on arrival calls, but we're there for the officer just as a trusted voice. And there's a number of us pastors who are saying, yeah, we can volunteer in that way. Uh, you know, not officially capacity or work hours, but we're going to volunteer. You can volunteer in your public schools. Kristen loves volunteer at lunch hour. It's loud. It's chaotic. She loves pumping uh, ketchup for the kids. There's ways we can be invested in our local communities. So we need to pray. We need to engage in the political process. Uh, and then and number three, I kind of cover this, but be educated. Be educated on the issues. Uh, with the age of internet uh, and, and the age of everything around us, there's no reason to walk into the voting booth or to fill out your, 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 your absentee ballot, your mail-in, uh, with ignorance. You can know the issues that are going on. You can, you can, you can find out all these things. So here's the thing. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but as Christ followers, we need to know, hey, what are my values? What are the values I believe that as an ambassador of Christ, as someone who's created in the image of a creator God for a purpose, to have dominion, to rule, to govern like God, what are my values? And now, which candidates align the closest to my values? And then we have humility and to say, hey, even if someone has a different lens than me and has faithfully studied scripture, has prayed about it and chooses to vote for a different candidate, we do not respond in anger. We do not say, how could you possibly vote that way? We trust that person has prayerfully and, 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 and done their work and, and they may even come to a different conclusion as a follower of Jesus. That is our mandate to say that, that we need to be involved. We need to pray, we need to engage, and we need to be educated. That's what we need to do. So on this issue of even just education, this is just good not just for politics, that we need to shift our perspective and see things from a different angle, that we may need to change our lens from time to time. I grew up as a Minnesotan uh, in a white, middle-class family. That is the lens, that is the perspective that I see through the most. There's nothing I can do about that. That's good. But there are things I can do that when I'm at my conference and I hear from a black pastor in Chicago and he says, hey, you can swap out your lens. You can choose to see things from a different perspective and see from someone else's experience. And, and so some books like Let There Be Art, written uh, by someone in the black tradition of preaching and culture and art and, and reading while black and faithful anti-racism, moving past talking to systemic change. And I can learn and say, teach me, show me your perspective as I swap out my lens for your lens and I'm learning to see things from your perspective. It's not taking away uh, I'm, not, I'm not giving away my lens. It's adding to it. Uh, at, at our teaching conference, they talked about uh, just you're adding different colors and shades to your preaching, but also to your perspective, I believe. that We, we, can, we can learn and grow. My brother-in-law, Ricardo, in Colorado, he's second-generation Mexican. 
And so it's been so eye-opening for me to hear his story of he, he attended the same Baba college as me, but hearing what people said to him as a Mexican student was so different than the things that people said to me, right? Josh Olson, one of our, our, our key leaders here, he grew up on the mission field. He's black. He has a different perspective. And so I can, I can talk to him. I can learn and say, hey, what is it like for you to walk into a room where 99% of the people in the room don't have the same skin color as you? We doesn't change, and, and we, we're not going to apologize for our, our skin color or our perspective, but we can add to it, right? We can say, sometimes i got to change my lens. Sometimes i got to change how I'm seeing things. So you may be predominantly someone who's a realist or a pessimist, and you're always seeing life from the negative lens. What do you need to do? You might need to change your lens and say, God, give me the perspective of uh, uh, someone who is an optimist and seeing things positively. Perhaps you only see what's wrong and you grumble and complain. And your friends are picking up on this and they say, hey, we notice you're always grumbling and complaining. What can you do? you got to change your lens, see things differently. You know, maybe you are going to get in a dating relationship and you're going to date someone and you're like, well, this person really doesn't share my value system and they really have a different perspective on a life from me. You know, so you need to change your lens and see it the way God sees it. Is this an honoring relationship? How are you viewing your time and what are you spending your money on and, and, and your leisure time? Perhaps it's been self-focused. And what I want to urge you to do is you got to change your lens and see things from God's perspective. See things the way that he wants you to see that. Again, maybe you've approached politics with an attitude of anger and just being upset at everyone. you got to change your lens. Maybe you thought government is the only answer, and you put all your hope in that, and you haven't asked God, you haven't prayed, you haven't sought the scriptures. you got to change your lens. What do we got to do? we got to change our lens to see things the way God sees, to understand our different Christian brothers, to understand their perspective, to seek the welfare of our city, to know, hey, I'm created in the image of a, of a created God, to have dominion, to rule and reign, to govern like God, Things are harder because of sin in this world, but it doesn't change our original mandate. I invite the band to come on up, and we're going to close in prayer. God, I pray right now for just all of us that you would help us to change our lens and to see things from a different perspective, to see things from your perspective. Uh, God, from the perspective of other Christian believers who may see things a little differently, God, I pray in this political season we would not have an attitude of anger or indifference or pride that we know all the answers, but God, that we would seek to ask good questions, to to do our own research, to uh, understand our values and, and what you're commanding for us so that, God, then we would seek to the peace and prosperity of our cities. God, I pray that in this election season, um, politics would not get in the way of friendships or relationships. Um, God, I pray against a spirit of division that is going on in our country and our nation. We have a real enemy, and we know he seeks to, to uh, sow division and, and, and discouragement and want us just to be uh, bent down. But God, that is not your posture, and we serve a good, true 
king. And as your ambassadors, let us bring hope and creativity and blessing in the midst of this evil, broken world around us. So God, I just pray, help us to swap out our lenses, to see things the way you want us to see them. And when we find ourselves uh, inward focused and we find ourselves um, with, with, a, with a lens of indifference or anger or pride, God, that we'd swap out our lens, that we'd encourage each other, hey, you gotta change your lens. You gotta change how you're seeing things. Give us your eyes, give us your vision. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I wanna encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.